So little Johnny knew that he was just right on the verge, maybe on the nice list, maybe on the naughty list. But he just he wasn't willing to take that chance. There was too much on the line. There was too much he wanted, too much he'd hoped for, too many hints he had dropped along the way. And so he thought, you know what? Before school lets out, I'm just going to have one last push. And that way, if I'm on the fence, I know I'll end up on the nice list. He's like, I'm going to get my teacher an incredible present this year. So last day on Friday, right before Christmas break, kids are coming up, giving gifts to the teacher. And uh, one little girl comes out and gives a gift to the teacher. And the teacher just kind of shakes it and looks at it and smells it and says, oh, it's got to be perfume. She's like, you're right. Merry Christmas. She's like, thank you so much. You're so wonderful. Little boy comes up. He gives this thing and, and out of it, he tries to wrap it up, but there's just some leaves sticking out of the top. And she looks at it, feels it, feels the texture. And she's like, oh, it's a pineapple. He's like, you're right. She's like, you're so good. She's like, you're definitely on the nice list. Goes back to his desk being Johnny's nervous wreck. Too much on the line. He's on the fence. And so he walks up there, his gift, just struggling with it, kind of shaking around. And she walks up and hands it to the teacher. And she notices that, that the bottom of the corner is wet. And so she looks at it and she smells it and she's like, did you get me perfume too? He's like, no, no, that's not it. That's not it. And so she gets back and she shakes a little bit and she touches it and was like kind of tastes it a little bit. And she was like, did you get me champagne? No, 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 that's not it. That's not it. So she shakes it one time. She says, I have no idea. What did you get me for Christmas? At that point, he bursts out and says, Merry Christmas. It's a puppy. Hey, listen, if you're here and you're a guest, <laughs> just relax. Uh, anytime there's lots of guests in the room, I always give this disclaimer. Uh, just sit back and relax. And if someone hands you a snake, just pass it down. Don't make a big deal out of it, all right? So, hey, listen, we're, we're glad you're here tonight. And I'm going to share a short message. I know there's lots of kids in the room tonight, so I'm not going to wax eloquent for very long. So, But I share with our church on Sunday that I was just going to give an abbreviated version of what we talked about last Sunday. And what we focused on was simply this is that so many times we're focused on getting these gifts and wondering what gifts and trying to sneak and find out what gifts we got. And we often fail to look at Christmas from God's perspective. We get so caught up on the elements and the manger and the wise men and the end that was full and all those kinds of things that we often see Christmas from a human perspective only. But I want to look at a passage tonight just for a few minutes in John chapter 1 that examines Christmas from God's perspective. Because Christmas is not just about the gifts we receive, but God in the first Christmas gave some gifts that cannot be matched and cannot be replaced. And so I just want to share uh, two of those with you tonight simply. John chapter 1, uh, beginning verse 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which was coming to the light of every man into the world. And he was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is the message of Christmas right here in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. 
and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so I just want to pause on this passage tonight and share with you two thoughts uh, tonight that, that really look at Christmas. The first one from God's perspective and examines the gifts that God gave to us on their very first Christmas. And the first gift we find in this passage is simply this. It's the gift from God of the confirmation of his promises, confirmation of God's promises. And I think it's important to pause and recognize that on that first Christmas, it was a fulfilled prophecy. It was a con- confer- confirmation of promise uh, through that prophecy. And the reason that such a gift from God is simply this, is that every single time that God fulfills a prophecy, every single time that God fulfills a promise he made, it grows our confidence in the character of God. And in the hard times of life, when you have no idea why God would allow it, you have no idea why God doesn't intervene. In those times when life does not make sense, you cannot see how God is going to get good or glory from that situation. Listen, in those times, the only thing you have to cling to is the character of God. Where you step back and say, God, listen, I have no idea what's going on. I can't see your plan. I have no idea how good or glory is going to come out of this. But I'm trusting in the character of God. And despite this situation and all the turmoil surrounded to it, I can look back at the faithfulness of God over and over and over in my life. And so because of that, every fulfilled promise grows our confidence in the character of God. And so when I look at that first Christmas, what I see is this. It is a God who hundreds at times through the prophets, even thousands of years prior, said, hey, listen, I'm going to do something and I'm going to do it in such a way that it's so specific that you don't have to wonder if it's a coincidence, but I'm going to do it in such a way that no one would ever plan it so that you can grow your confidence in the character of God. And every time God confirms one of his promises, it grows our confidence in that area. And so we go back and evaluate the the truthfulness of his promises. Verse six says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And it goes on and and it describes it this way in Jesus. Now, there may be lots of words in your house that you use to describe Jesus. Some may be accurate. Some may not be totally accurate. I love some of the descriptions that kids give sometimes. But one of the descriptions of uh, scripture of Jesus is this. And it's how John described him in verse nine. Here's what he said. He said, this was the true light. Now, why in the world would he describe him that way? I mean, do you really have to give an adjective to Jesus, the word true? Do you really have to give that descriptor that Jesus is the true light, not just a light or some light? Well, apparently uh, Jesus knew exactly what happened, that all throughout history, there'd be people standing up and saying, I'm the Messiah. Follow me uh, in the Gospels. He, he gave these warnings in Matthew, chapter 24. Uh, Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no man will deceive you. Listen, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Mark chapter 13 says this. And if anyone says to you, lo, here is the Christ, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will give miraculous signs and wonders in order to seduce, if possible, even the believing elect. And so Jesus warned of this. He said, hey, listen, I'm not the only person who's going to come along and, and proclaim to be the light of the world. And that, that has gone on in uh, Syracuse University. About 20 years ago, uh, did a study. And here's what it said. They said at that time, over 20 years ago, there were over 2000 practicing gurus calling themselves Christ. And my guess is in the last 20 years, that number has only grown exponentially. Over 2000 people in our current culture saying, I'm the Christ. I'm a Messiah figure. You should be following me. And so Jesus prophesied that. And so when John the Baptist came along and said, hey, listen. I know there's lots of people claiming to be the Messiah. 
I know there's lots of people making claims that they're the light of the world, but I'm here proclaiming this is the true light. That was a whole part of John's ministry. We don't know a lot about the Bible and who is John the Baptist. Basically, he had two uh, assignments in life. Uh, one was to hang out in the woods and he ate bugs. And so that's part of it, right? But the other part was this. He just spent his whole time preparing the way for Jesus. And one of the scriptures he gave to say, listen, I'm not the true light, but the true light is coming. So here's a fair question. Is Jesus the true light? Or is he just another baby that was born in a manger? And so I'm going to just walk you through some of the fulfilled promises, because when we look at the other major world religions, I want you to understand something. There's not a single prophecy related to the birth of the founder of any other major world religion that's unique to Christianity. And so the question comes, if you're making some unique claims, can you back it up? Right. And so I'm just going to walk you through in the spirit of the great cultural prophet, David Letterman. Here is my top 10 Old Testament fulfilled prophecy list just about the birth of Christ. Now, listen, because the life and birth of Christ alone fulfilled specifically over 350 prophecies, with many of them being made several hundreds and even a few a thousand years prior to that. And so I'm going to just give you a top 10 related to the birth of Christ and what the scripture describes. Prophecy was this, that Jesus will come from the line of Abraham. That prophecy was made in Genesis chapter 12, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. Bible said that Jesus' mother will be a virgin. That prophecy was made in Isaiah 7 and fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Bible said that Jesus will be a descendant of Isaac and Jacob. That prophecy was made in Genesis 17 and Numbers 24, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus will be born in the town of Bethlehem. Prophecy made in Micah chapter 5, fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. Jesus will be called out of Egypt. Prophecy made in Hosea chapter 11, fulfilled Matthew chapter 2. Jesus will be a member of the tribe of Judah. That prophecy was made in Genesis 49, fulfilled in Luke chapter 3. Jesus will enter the temple. Prophecy made Malachi chapter 3, fulfilled Luke chapter 2. Jesus will be from the lineage of King David. Prophecy made Jeremiah 23, fulfilled Matthew chapter 1. Jesus' birth will be accompanied with great suffering and sorrow. Prophecy made Jeremiah 31, fulfilled Matthew chapter 2. Jesus Christ will live a perfect life, will die by crucifixion, will resurrect from the dead, ascend into heaven, and sit at the right hand of God. Prophecy made, Psalm 22, Psalm 16, Isaiah 53, Psalm 68, Psalm 110, fulfilled, 1 Peter chapter 2, Luke 23, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. And the birth of Christ was the clear and irrefutable evidence that what God said in the past Hundreds of years ago came to be fulfilled on that first Christmas in that manger. And every time that God fulfills a promise, listen, it grows our confidence in the character of God. And the reason that's a gift is simply because of this. When you go through hard times, not if, when you go through hard times, it is the character of a God who keeps his promises that will sustain you in some of those seasons. And it all started on the first Christmas. And so God says, I'm giving you the gift of fulfilled promises. I am a God you can trust from the very beginning. Let me give you the second gift from God. It's the last one. We'll wrap up tonight. Second gift from God that first Christmas is this. It's an open invitation. And that major, what God was actually doing was putting out an open invitation to anyone who would receive it. Now, this is just my opinion, so you don't have to write this down. Or you, you take stock of it. But I think in, in, in social settings... I think two of the scariest questions you can ever ask are as follows. Number one, 
Are you pregnant? Listen, once you ask that, there's no turning back, right? I've asked that unwisely before. There's no backpedaling out of that. And so I just well, listen, if someone's if I'm in the delivery room with a member of our church, I don't assume anything anymore. I felt the pain of that. That's a scary question. Are you pregnant? The other scary question to ask in a social context is this. Were you invited? Like most of us have not been unwise like I have. And most of us, just if we're not sure someone's pregnant, we just like don't even go there. Right. Like I'm not even walking down that road that may end poorly. But my guess is that all of us in the room, myself included, have to have that experience where we either ask someone, were you invited and found out they weren't or we made an indirect reference that we're going somewhere and we can't wait to go. And so and so is going to be there. Then there's that awkward silence where you realize that someone in the group like they're not invited. They're just kind of sitting looking down and you realize they're not invited. There's a listen. You wonder why? Like, it, it, did I say something the last time I saw them? Am I projecting something I'm not I'm not aware of? Do I smell bad? Did they see that toilet paper stuck to my shoes? The last part, like, what is it? Right. Like, why in the world would they not invite me? And it's an incredibly difficult feeling. Do You know what I've discovered? Is that for many people when it comes to celebrating Christmas as a lifestyle instead of a season, the reason they don't is they're not sure they're invited to the party. Like they look around and they see the folks in the room. They just assume that those folks got it all together and clearly they're invited because they're here every week. And maybe they're just a little more spiritual than I am. And so, I'm, you know, I'm not even sure if I'm actually invited to the party. And so I'm just going to celebrate Christmas as a season, not as a lifestyle. I agree with the message, but it's not my message because I'm not sure, totally sure that I'm actually invited to the party. Listen, there's nothing worse than showing up to a party and realizing you weren't on the guest list. And that may describe some of you. The reason you're not celebrating Christmas as a lifestyle, rather it's just a holiday, is because you're not sure if you're even invited to the party. Listen, let me share with you some good news. You're invited. You're invited. He says, is that just your opinion? Is that just a pep talk? Listen, here's what the scripture says in verse 7 in John chapter 1. And this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. That all through him might believe. Listen, Little test tonight. Raise your hand if you're here. Yeah, a couple of you didn't raise your hand, and I'm a little concerned by that, right? So you aren't sure yet. You're still weighing that out. You know what all means? I had a professor in seminary who said all means all. That's all all means. And so you look up the word in the Greek, the word all, it means all. And he's saying, listen, this light came for everybody, for every single person. But he goes on and repeats it for emphasis in verse 9. He said that was the true light, which gives light to who? To every man coming into the world. You know what a synonym is for every man coming into the world? It's the word all. And so if the invitation is open to everyone, then why doesn't everyone go to the party? Why is it for some people that Christmas is a season and not a lifestyle? It's because simply verse 12 says this. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, now listen, in our culture. Like, are we all not children of God? I mean, we, we, we hear that phrase. We think, listen, I believe in God and, and I'm an American and I went to church. I go to church some. And so, I mean, we're all children of God, right? Listen, but it gives a, dis, a disclaimer here, a qualifier in verse 12 to become children of God to those who believe. And so the question, thank you. I was impressed, too. Like the question is not, am I on the list? 
of invites. The question is, am I willing to believe? And that word believe there, listen, in the original language, it's not just agree from an intellectual standpoint, like I agree with the elements of the story. No, it's believe in the aspect of surrender and follow is what he's describing there. And so who does God want to respond to the invitation? He says to every man coming into the world and the gospel and the message of Christmas is sufficient for all, but it's only efficient for those who choose to believe. Now, listen, we live in a culture that's obsessed with political correctness. And one of the things we talk about, only those who believe that the gospel is only efficient for those who choose to believe. One of the pushbacks in our culture is this. Well, that's not fair. Like, I think that everyone should be a child of God. I think that God is the God of love. And so everybody should get to go in. And when you say that only those who choose to believe and believe means surrender and follow, like, that's not fair. Andy Stale in his book, How Good is Good Enough, tackles the issue of fairness as it relates to the invitation of God. And here's what he says. He says the God of Christianity never claims to be fair. Never claims that. He goes beyond fair. The Bible teaches that he decided to not give us what we deserve. It's mercy. Is Christianity fair? Absolutely not. But if you take the Bible seriously, the last thing you would want is for God to be fair. Is Christianity fair? It's not fair to God. Christians believe that God sent his son to die for your sins and mine. Fairness would demand that we die for our own sins. But the good news is that God opted for grace and mercy over fairness. Christianity teaches that when man sinned, God opted for forgiveness rather than fairness. Listen, I for one this Christmas am grateful for the gift that our God is not fair. He is merciful. And some of you, you know, just, it just doesn't, still doesn't seem fair to me. But let's just think of this. God's invitation. What could be fairer? Everybody's welcome. Everybody gets in the same way and everybody can meet the requirement. Nothing could be fairer. And so the gift of fulfilled prophecy tells us that this story is true. And maybe you're here and you have some intellectual doubts related to Christianity and the whole Christmas message and all that. And you just came because someone made you feel guilty. All right, listen, that's fine. I get that. But you've got to have an answer. For over 350 fulfilled prophecies, many of them made hundreds and hundreds and some of them even thousands of years before the event ever took place and fulfilled in such a way that you can't argue away through generalities. And so God gave us the gift of a God who fulfills his promise. But God also gave us the gift of an open invitation free to be embraced by everyone. So in light of those facts, why would it be rejected by anyone? To not embrace Jesus personally is to reject him openly, is the message. I know that for some of you, you've got a lot going on in the next 48 hours. Can we just be honest in church tonight? How many of you have yet to do your Christmas shopping? Would you just acknowledge that? Because God knows your heart already. He knows your sin. I told our church on Sunday, I said they have a word for people who do their shopping before Christmas Eve. Women. Listen, go to the mall tonight. It's all dudes, right? And there's parties to go. And there's last minute stuff to do and gifts to get and all that. Listen, I know the next 48 hours for some of you is crazy. You're going to 10 places in two days. You have no idea how you're going to get it all done. And I get that. But here's my challenge to you. and I'm, I'm going to wrap up. My challenge is whatever it is that you're doing the next 48 hours and you're rushed to get out of here and get to the next place and all that rush. Don't be in such a hurry that you drive off and leave Jesus 
at the church this Christmas. And I want to invite you to receive him right now in your own hearts. Would you just bow your heads with me tonight?